At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. that sound. This is a good one. In southern Minnesota, weren't you? Like south of the city somewhere? Well, I was working south of the cities, but I was living north of the cities. So I'm okay. close, yeah, I was like a half hour north of the, the Twin Cities area. Okay, okay. Yeah, now, now I'm way up in God's country. That's right. Yeah, you're farther north than our place up there. Yeah, where deer hunting is tough. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I haven't set, I haven't sit a bunch, but I haven't seen a deer while in the stand. I've seen them driving around, but I haven't seen them in the stand. And they're, um, the numbers aren't high up here. It's it's not, and I'm not really complaining about it um, because, in my opinion. I think it's good because so we're right on where I'm at right now is like right on the border of what we call our arrowhead region. And that's like, would be the moose zone. And we haven't had a moose season in forever because their numbers are terrible. And the two main factors, one being the wolves and the other one being, um, brain worm, which they contract when they're in close proximity to whitetails because whitetails carry the brain worm, but it doesn't kill them, but it does kill moose. So, huh. That's kind of that problem, and then it's exacerbated by the wolves, which we have a lot of. Now, yeah. I I personally don't really demonize the wolves. I don't, at least not to the extent that most people do. Yeah. I don't think it's a blanket excuse you can just use because wolves have literally always been in northern Minnesota, even when they were extirpated from the rest of the lower 48. We always had some. And, yeah, yeah. we have a lot. Like, we have there's, – there's more wolves in Minnesota than all of the western states combined. It's a lot. It's a lot of wolves. I, yeah, I, I did not know that. Yeah, I, I did a deep dive a while back 
on one of my other podcasts and I was like, I started adding it up. Cause you know, like Idaho, Montana, they all have wolf seasons. We can't right. ever seem, we had one for like a year and yeah. they shut it. We just, it's too much of a blue state. That's <laughs> yeah. what it, yeah. I think what it comes down to. If, if I might, if I may simplify it to that level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's lawsuit after lawsuit, getting them relisted. And um, yeah, I'd like to see them, managed hunted and trapped of course well, yeah i mean that's it's just like anything else i mean they they need to be managed or you know pretty soon you're going to run into the problem of having no deer and no you know and i, I guess now that there's what is there like three separate elk herds like wild elk herds in minnesota um i know we have the one in the northwest corner of the state they're reintroducing I can't remember by what date. I don't think they I don't think they brought any animals over yet. Um okay. but they're going Is to it, put some down by well not There's quite a guy days, who who uh keeps honeybees on a little spot, you know, on our property up there. And we were talking with him, you know, last week when we were up there hunting and he he hit a moose with his pickup. Oh like, really? Just like near like Wadena. Oof. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, not a moose. Did I say moose? You said moose. Well, I mean elk. Yeah, it would have been lost, but not not. I mean, it wouldn't be absurd. I mean, there's you get moose in random places, wildlife are are want to wander sometimes. But yeah, an elk. Oh, same thing though. Like that's gonna yeah. mess up your truck. Oh yeah, and I guess his brother also hit one. Oh wow. That somewhere pretty close. Somewhere in the same area ish. I guess I didn't realize there was elk down that way. So and that's he was saying um that apparently there's like three supposedly known, you know, herds. Yeah, I only well that's very possible. I only know really know of the one in northwest up like Griglia, if yeah. I'm saying that right. Um Maybe there is one closer to Wadena. And then the one they're going to try to establish uh, down by Fond du Lac Casino, which is kind of like um, basically where the 35, I-35 takes a right to head towards Duluth. It's kind of like right there. Right. Black right. Casino area on the reservation is where they're um, hmm. going to introduce some elk. So it'd be kind of cool. And they're, well, not quite wild, but they're doing a bunch of um, bison reintroductions mostly in parks and they're keeping them fenced in and stuff but sure i mean that'd be kind of cool yeah it's, that's pretty cool too i did see some i was out in western minnesota one time uh duck hunting we we're out to scout around and there was just buffalo in a in a cornfield cut cornfield huh. um and they it wasn't fenced so i'm like what the are these what what the heck is going on and then you know we made drove around we kind of just as it happened, we ended up going back by that same field, and they were gone. So huh. I don't know if they were escapees from a farm or there actually is a herd over there somewhere. But it would be cool. But man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like being a farmer and having those big animals roaming around. I can only imagine what kind of damage a herd of bison could do to your crops. Right. Maybe they don't go into standing crop. I don't know. But you yeah, think I they could? Don't know that much about them either. Yeah. I mean, I, they're it's pretty cool seeing them. You know, I mean, they've got herds all over the place in Oklahoma and stuff like that. And 
Um, I know uh, my mother-in-law used to live in Medicine Park, Oklahoma, and she lived um, just off of this big wildlife refuge that's there. Um, and Quana Parker, who is kind of the most, you know, well-known, you know, Comanche Indian from, you know, years and years ago, um, that went from, you know, being, you know, a, just a, a warring kind of, you know, Indian to being friends with like Theodore Roosevelt and being like a, an office holder for like the, you know, cattlemen's grower, you know, cattlemen growers association stuff like that. But, um, he was, you know, instrumental in starting, uh, that herd in medicine park, Oklahoma. And like they brought out by rail, like two bulls and eight cows or something like that from like a zoo in like New Jersey huh. in the late 1800s, early, early 1900s, I think. Um, and now there's like hundreds of these things out just Roman, Roman free on that huge, huge refuge, central Oklahoma. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, yeah, I, that's I, don't know. I think that's cool. I get, I go down big, deep rabbit holes of um, uh, kind of like prehistory, uh, you know, before like the ice ages, before, you know, all the megafauna died off and all that kind of stuff. And the bison were the only real remnants of their species that made it through. And, you know, going off of fossil records, we've got, or just not even, technically fossils but actual bones you know not talking like Mm -hmm. stoned fossils but actual bones there was like multiple species of of bison so different species of bison and we had horses and lions saber-toothed cats and giant sloths and woolly rhinos and elephants like it was it was like a furry africa basically and uh i just i i i like to let my mind just like wander and try to picture what those plain yeah. states must have looked like when oh, yeah. there was all yeah, the, that wildlife out there like well i mean it was completely different 150 years ago you know i mean there were there were wolves and elk all over the central plains right you know and now elk are you know they're concentrated you know in you know the mountains pretty much you know, primarily. And, you know, there's, you're not going to find much for wolves in, you know, Eastern Nebraska anymore. Yeah. And I've heard kind of two different theories on that too, as far as the, you know, I've heard some people say that um, the market hunting, you know, wiped a lot of that stuff out, but it also, the pressure drove the elk into the mountains and they became mountain creatures. But then I've heard that the mountain elk, which some people think always existed were just more protected and so weren't weren't as susceptible to market hunting so it wasn't so much that the herds got chased up into the mountains it's just that the elk that were more prone to stay in the plains were the ones that got wiped out and then the the mountain ones were able to live on i guess both scenarios are likely i guess but feasible yeah yeah yeah, i yeah i don't think one's more like more ridiculous than the other or anything like that but it just would be to be a fly on the wall, you know, to like 
and I got to assume like during the seasons, you'd have these great migrations just like you have in Africa, you know, it'd be just like massive right. herds moving south and. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, and... with, with the, you know, like with the, with the bison, you know, with their millions of those things. I mean, could you imagine seeing, you know, herds of hundreds of thousands of those things moving across the plains all right. at once. And that well, must've been just incredible. And that's the thing. So like the bison were the only ones that lived, um, through that cataclysm or that extinction, whatever you want to call it, and so then their their numbers blew up, right? They filled that that niche, but right. pre, you know, pre Ice Age, um, they say, well, that there there wasn't millions of bison. There was a bunch of bison, but there was a bunch of other. Yeah, but the numbers weren't like they were. In yeah, the, they weren't. They were, it wasn't all bison, bison, or I think it's. I think technically it's bison, bison, bison. The latin nomenclature or whatever but right so there was other bison species it was like three or four different ones and so they yeah. had to share space you know so it wasn't like there was millions of bison but there was millions of large hooved ungulates it just wasn't one particular species it right. wasn't a monoculture sure. crop if you will still yeah. God, i don't know i just think that would be i you know I, I heard a cool story yesterday there was uh during the you know, big, you know, Alaskan gold rush. Um, there were some guys that found a, I can't remember what kind of, they called it some kind of buffalo that they were estimating it being, you know, like tens of thousands of years old, you know, 50,000 mm-hmm. years old or whatever. And they were, it was frozen in the ice and they, you know, were digging this thing up. And they were short of food. And so they cut some meat off of this, you know, whatever kind of buffalo it was that was frozen in the, in the ice and made stew out of it. Huh. And this, these things have been extinct for, you know, however many years. Tens of thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. And wow. they've made stew out of it and they said that it was, you know, hard to chew, but. It really wasn't bad, and it kept them all alive. That's what I call aging your meat right there. Yeah. <laughs> Flash frozen, I guess it'd be all right. Yeah, I smokes. guess. I suppose. Well, we've been recording. We might as well uh, let people know who we're talking to here. <laughs> that might help. <laughs> I think so. Uh, this is your second time on the show, however. Um, that's been a while, though. We should been a while. probably do a, a better uh, job of getting you on, keeping people updated. But we got Jared from Wing River Outfitters, um, which is kind of interesting because you're in New Mexico, right? Right. But then you're also in Minnesota at times. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of hard keeping up with you. I know, I know. I, when, I, when I'm watching your social media, I'm like, boy, that sure looks like Minnesota. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, that's because it is. I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah. But you were, uh, when I reached out today to confirm, you were a, uh, you were putting a stock on a, on an Oryx. Yep. Yep. And we were trying. Bad. It didn't work out this time, but damn it. There's always there's always tomorrow morning. So that's... we just it it was looking like it was going to work out perfectly, but we just we ran out of daylight. So. Oh. Just couldn't close the distance or get just yep. get them in range. Yep, yep. So a little disappointing, but you know that's hunting. 
it's not a guarantee every time out. So no, no, and uh, that's just still weird to think when you're like, oh yeah, this is not a normal text you you receive in uh, in America, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Like, oh hey, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm currently stocking an Oryx right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. what now <laughs> what <laughs> that's so cool how's how's that been going how have you had a good season on the orcs this is actually the first one for me for the year so wow so i'll i'll, I'll let you know tomorrow tomorrow's the last day of the hunt so oh hopefully my. we'll get this get this guy a client of mine mike is drove down here from washington state so he made a little bit of a trek down here for this and drove from Washington state. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're doing our best to send him home with a couple of coolers full of meat. So, and is there a, a season like other season parameters or because they're an invasive, it's just kind of whenever. You no, want, there's or... there. They can be hunted 10 months out of the year. Okay. The only two months out of the year you can't, they can't be hunted is May and June. Um, and it's basically because that's really sort of a, a calving season, um, if you want to call it that. I mean, that's when the majority of them are. But you know, there there will be calves, you know, all year. Oh, it's, is that it's right? Not, it's not like a, you know, like a, a deer rut where you know ninety nine percent of the does are bred at this specific time, and so you have this whole you know, statewide crop of deer born, you know, all at once. Um, I mean, I've seen calves, you know, little tiny calves that are walking underneath their mama's bellies in, you know, January or February. Huh. So, how are, how for, are the... for the, for the most part, you know, it's, that's kind of the calving season. And so you can't hunt them in May or June. Wow. How are their, how are the numbers? Do they, do the numbers fluctuate much? Um, you know, they really don't, you know, when they first brought these things over here and like the late sixties, early seventies, you know, there were only, you know, just several dozen that they brought. I want to, I want to say it was something like 93 or 97 of them or something like that, that they brought over here. And from what I understand, the population went from that up to, like 30,000 and they were, you know, all of the, the ranchers bordering the range where they put these things um, were getting pretty perturbed because they're, you know, they're an, they're a plains antelope species and they don't jump fences. They go under and through fences, Oof. you know, and these things aren't small animals. I mean, these things weigh hundreds of pounds and have, you know, 30 inch, 35 inch horns. And they just, you know, they'll blow right through a fence. So they started, you know, allowing, you know, the hunting of these animals, like in the early, early to mid nineties. And so now they try to manage the population. There's somewhere around 6,000 of them is what they try to keep the population, you know, close to. Oh, that's a far cry from 30,000. Oh yeah. You know, it's funny too, is when they brought those over, they brought, you know, several other species of animals with them. Like kudu was one of them. Um, and the kudu, they were susceptible to a bacteria that cattle carried 
that the the kudu couldn't couldn't survive. Is that brucellosis? So it, it killed. You no, know, it, it was something else. Um, but it killed killed all the kudu off, and they didn't make it. And they brought, you know, like a Persian ibex over, and you know they they made it. They lived, and there's a there's a healthy population of ibex here. Um, so these were intentional. And, it was like it was. These aren't like exotic farm escapees. No, no. These were intentionally introduced in the wild. You know, same thing with you know we call them Barbary sheep here in New Mexico, and you know everywhere else in Texas they call them Audad. Um, but there's a a great you know population of Barbary sheep here in New Mexico too, and that's another one that just has thrived. Huh. Do you target those ibex at all? God, those things have just like crazy cool horns. Yeah, they're 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 really pretty neat. Now there's there's only one unit in the state um, that is a draw unit, and it's where you know the overwhelming majority of the ibex are. Um, but it's a it's a draw. So you you know fill out your application every year, and then it's just if you get drawn, you get drawn. If you don't, you don't. Um, so it's it's a pretty tough one to draw. I I have yet to hunt them. Um, but my dad actually got drawn for a tag this year, so I'm gonna oh, go with him in wow. February to go to go hunt one. So, dude, I just pulled. I just I had to do an image search of Ibex, New Mexico, and they're oh incredible. my god, oh my, their yep. headgear is on. It's insane. Real. Yep. So call me back in in March, yeah. and I'll let you know how that hunt went. And <laughs> Heck yeah, ho- dude. Hopefully, hopefully, I'll send you pictures of a nice big. Billy that my that my dad was able to and get. And so have their like are they pretty localized? I mean like they're not spreading to different mountain ranges or kind of staying. No, they're where not they're spread at. out. No, they're they're very localized. Okay. What's the success rate on a hunt like that? You know? I it's pr- actually pretty low. Um they're they're pretty difficult animals to hunt. And and the reason that you know it's kind of proof positive that they're difficult to hunt is the state will allow you if you get if you get drawn for a tag um, or there you can buy over the counter tags um, but it's not in that unit where the draw hunt is so they're outside of that unit which there are a few in numbers um, but if you you know like I said this goes to show you how difficult they are to hunt if you get a tag, um, you can keep shooting them and buying more tags as long as you uh, harvest a nanny first. You can keep going and harvesting more animals, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's almost, almost unlimited. Um, you can go back and keep shooting as many nannies as you want, um, but when you shoot a billy, you're done. You're done. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I'm just I'm lost in these pictures right now. Oh, there's such uh, man. I had no idea. Learned something. And they're in I did like not know we had ibex in this country. Oh yeah. And they're like in like cliff cliffs. Yeah, like I do know that they prefer. Yeah, they prefer cliff. crazy countries. So, like, if you yep. go over to Europe and in Spain and Afghanistan and all these things, like, um, yep. their native habitat, it's like it's the most rugged, just unforgiving. 
This dude, yeah, it's, this it's, dude it's shot one, one of with those, his bow. What? Oh, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where if you, you know, are a pretty proficient long-distance shooter, your odds go up. But there are guys that, and I know guys that have killed them with a bow. Wow. And that's got to be really tough. Without ever having hunted them before, it's had to has to be really tough. So, but like I said, I'll let you know in you know in February <laughs> or March. And, yeah, for sure. Like, remind we'll, me because yeah, I want to hear about we'll, that story. We'll like, see just how hard it was. I'll take some good video and man. take some good pictures. And but you know what? I'm looking at a New Mexico uh, barbary sheep though. Those are those are pretty cool in their own right. Oh yeah, they're really really neat animals. Really neat animals. I still, I know we talked about this the last time I had you on. I got to get down there. For one, I just have a longing for the mountains. It's been a long time since I've been in the mountains, and I've never actually spent any quality time in New Mexico at all. Yeah. Uh, so that's high on my list of, I've hit most of the states in this country, and I've only ever driven through New Mexico. I've never actually stopped and spent time there. So that's that definitely needs to happen at some point in time. Oh yeah, you'll just have to make time and do it. I don't. That's exactly what it is. You know, but for one of the, one of the hangups for me is um is equipment. So I'm mostly a, a, an archer. I don't even own a decent rifle. I think the only rifle I have is an SKS, and I never even use it. Sure. <laughs> so I need to to purchase that, and like I would need a a pack and boots. And what I should do is have you just you should send me a list like. Here's your shopping list. Here's what you're gonna need to come hunt in New sure. Mexico. Like honestly, because yeah. I'm like I'm lost. Like I'm like this. There's so much. I'm just not set up for any of it. You sure. know. And what kind of like style hunts are you doing down there? Are these like backcountry? You're camping in the backcountry, or are these day trips in and out, or both? I guess. Yeah, both, both. So, the the oryx hunts that I'm doing, um, they're uh, we hunt, you know, uh, on a private ranch. Um, that borders the White Sands Missile Range, um, and it there's a bed and breakfast that's actually on the ranch um, that the brother and sister-in-law of you know the ranch owners own the bed and breakfast. And so when I come down here and do oryx hunts, it's you kind of get pampered a little bit because you can actually come to a room and you can take a shower and you got TV <laughs> yeah. and you know I, a I cook supper bed. for my yeah yeah I mean I cook supper for my for my clients here and so I mean it's you're staying in actually a really really nice you know Southwest style you know bed and breakfast and there's a lot of history behind this place this ranch has been around for I mean decades and decades and decades. And the actual building where the bed and breakfast is, there's four rooms. Um, this was an old, old, old mining site. Um, there's like silver mines and stuff here. And the building that the bed and breakfast is in used to be a like a general store that serviced this mining community that was here um, kind of surrounding this ranch. And so when you pull up to it from the outside, it's very, um, it's very unique, but it's very rustic. Um, it doesn't look from the outside like it is on the inside. Now, I mean, it's not, it doesn't look run down or anything on the outside. It's still very nice. You know, it's landscaped and they, 
you know, rake the gravel in the, in the parking lot. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. But the rooms have been all completely remodeled, and there's these huge tiled walk-in showers. And I mean, it's it's really really amazing. So it doesn't. It's a it's a nice respite from being out in the field all day chasing these big, huge horned animals, you know. But that's just part of it, you know. There's, you know, the other part of what I do is you know backcountry stuff where you're sleeping in wall tents with wood stoves and you got horses in the mountains tied to trees and you know that kind of stuff and that's I prefer that I love the backcountry stuff it's that's my uh that's my wheelhouse I think the I think I would be because I don't know I'm a glutton for punishment but I think the backcountry thing for me would be pretty awesome I mean just oh, like yeah. there's there's definitely that with like the wild wanderlust element of me that just like knowing you're like one of the few people spending the night oh. out and anywhere near anybody else <laughs> i don't know there's such there's just something cool to be said oh, yeah. to be said for that you know and a fire at night and mountains and the sky and the stars and all that would be pretty pretty amazing i would oh, think yeah. yeah that's great last october um, I took my youngest son, Jax, um, on his first bull elk hunt and same thing, you know, you're, you're, you know, in the back country and in a wall tent and you're laying there sleeping, you know, we're trying to sleep at night in your tent and bull elk are screaming, bugling, keeping you awake all night. And I mean, it's, there's just, there's, there's nothing like it. Right. What's that other, um, I'm trying to find it. The other um, crazy exotic you have down there, there's a bunch on the White Sands. Um, what the heck is the name? Is They don't have big horns. They're big-bodied, but they don't have big horns. Why can't I think of what they're called? Oh, my God. This is driving me nuts. Help me out here, Jared. You got to know. In In New Mexico? Yeah. I know they have them on the White Sands. But I think you can actually hunt them on the edge of it. Um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of it? Hmm. I mean, really, the only ones that I can think—I of, I mean, it's there's, you know, Barbary sheep, ibex, um, oryx. oryx, big bodies uh, with smaller horns. The only thing I think of would be like a nilgai. Nilgai. That's that's it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Are they not in New Mexico? Not that I know of. Oh, I thought I know they, they hunt nilgai lots and lots and lots of nilgai in Texas. Maybe it's Texas I'm thinking about. Nilgai. Let's just put it in New Mexico, see what happens. And nilgai are supposed to be really good eating too. That's what I've heard. And I've heard they're super tough. It's like if you shoot one, you shoot it again. Like if until like they're yeah, crazy. Well, like their body is so. I'm looking at a picture of right now. Their body is so huge. Yeah, and their head in relation to their body is tiny. Tiny, yeah. It's yep. so tiny. Let's uh, South Texas. So yeah, they must not be in New Mexico. It must be too cold there in New Mexico for them. Then I wish they were. Uh, kind of wicked. Kind of wicked. Oh, I mean, what isn't in Texas, right? I mean, Texas has everything. Yeah. Uh, fallow deer and sick of deer and. Man, they got they got wild zebras. I think running around there in certain spots. Oh yeah, it's There's, crazy. You name it, 
they got scimitar horned oryx and they got everything everything and and those all, those all those exotics usually start out as captives and then they inevitably get loose so right that's... yeah i mean i i know i know guys that live in you know central or south texas that you know they have fallow deer and axis deer walking across their ranch you know i mean they just they get out from places and you know black buck and you know there's no there's no season for right. any of those there's no tags for any of those all you got to do is have a, a big game hunting license right and you can go shoot as many as you want if if you can get on somebody's ranch i mean right i mean right. there is that's, there is some public land in texas that's kind of a misnomer that people don't think there's any but there is some yes yeah, not much yeah. but there is some yeah um and it's i will say it's enough to hunt you know i've spent some time in texas and there are some wildlife management areas around and they're they're large swaths of land um, yeah it just gets because texas is so big i think when people look at it on a map you know, they're like, oh, this this isn't anything. Well, right. it's, it's still thousands of acres. I mean, it's still, you know, it's still a pretty good-sized chunk of land. It's sure. just small in relation. Now, I don't know how many of those actually have any exotic species running around in them other than, you know, where I was at was like eastern Texas. So you got pigs. That's pretty much it, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. And those things are everywhere. Is oh, there yeah. much for wild pigs in New Mexico? You know, there are. You know, it's not like there is in Texas, but like in the Pecos River Valley, I know guys that, that hunt pigs there and, you know, off of the Cap Rock, just, you know, half an hour north of, you know, where I live, you know, people, you know, hunt pigs there, you know, fairly often. Okay. Nice. Um, I've, I've been in the mountains, you know, elk hunting or turkey hunting with my brother. Um, and, you know, we've, we've had pigs run in front of us and I've been guiding guys on elk hunts before and. You know, they shot pigs on elk hunts in the oh. mountains. So they're <laughs> they're here, it's kind just of a not not at the numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's you never really hear about it. You never hear pigs in Mexico. Maybe it's just because it gets overshadowed by Texas so much because it's you know right yeah. there. But yeah, you don't just don't really hear about that that much. Yeah. Um, you got peccaries though, right? You got the the javelinas. Yeah, yeah, javelina. Yeah, we have there's a there's a bunch of those here, and we see them here on this ranch too. And they're tiny little little things you know they're not don't get real big and they've got little bitty hooves you know and but they're they're here and they're they're pretty neat little animals too oddly enough it's on my list like i, I think they're cool little creatures and I'd, I'd love to stick one with my bow for sure oh yeah yeah what's the season like uh for those is that is it a pretty good chance of um, punching a tag there are there are draw units for javelina um but you can get you know over-the-counter tags for javelina also um now of course the over-the-counter tags aren't in those good units but like you know i i've had guys you know that came you know down here uh for an oryx hunt and bought you know an over-the-counter javelina tag also just in case we ran into one sure so I've they're, heard they're here. I've we, heard we you see them. Can call them in like with the predator calls, like they'll actually respond to I don't know dying rabbit. I guess would be the yeah the thing yeah that, which is crazy to me. Little they're inter- little they're, bastards. They, <laughs> yeah, they really are interesting little creatures. They're cool looking. I've seen I've, I've seen when I lived in Arizona for a hot minute. I, I I saw a few of them running around. They're pretty cool. 
Yeah, they're, they're pretty neat. They're quick. Yeah. When, when they decide they don't want to be seen anymore, they they gone. They're gone. Yeah. Yep. They are quick. They go from zero to a hundred like. Yeah. No time flat. Yeah. That's crazy. Walk us through one of these oryx hunts though. Like, um, is a lot of glassing? I assume. That's. I mean, the overwhelming majority of your times is glassing. They're, uh, you know, they're big animals, but they're they're really pretty difficult to spot. I mean, it, and it sounds funny, you know, once you see one, you look at it and you're going, how in the world are these things so tough to spot? But you, they're they're a plains animal, and so their their vision is so good. It's their their vision is like you know a human looking through ten power binoculars. Oh. And so they see you just like a pronghorn does. They see you from a long ways away. And they don't play. <laughs> oh yeah. And so you're you're glassing from you know really pretty extreme distances. And so you know you got a you know I've got a great spotting scope. And so I'm you know I'll find them you know you know two miles away. And then you're trying to figure out you know either how to get to them or you're waiting them out. Um, cause you know, we're guiding on private property, you know, only here. So you gotta, they gotta be on the right side of the fence. So it's, it can be pretty tough. And that's, um, a... it's not, it's, it's not always tough, but it, it can be tough. And it's a, it's really kind of a, a patience game. That's an additional challenge. Is there any public land that you, that people can hunt them on or is it, there's just, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's tons and tons of public land and it's a statewide tag but it's it's draw only so you can put in for the draw and get drawn on the white sands missile range and that's a once in a lifetime hunt okay um so you draw for that you go hunt one time and whether you get one or not you know that's it um but you can draw a statewide off range hunt as well and so you can hunt all of the state land and BLM you know land you know, across the whole part of the state, you know, where these things exist. So, but that's also, you know, draw. So. Sure. Do, do many people do that or are they more just lean on guides for, you know, to up their success rate? Is there, is there Um, many people freelancing that kind of a hunt? You know, the majority of the people that don't rely on a guide um, are from, New Mexico, you know, they've been around enough and talked to enough people. And so they, you know, they kind of, they try to do it themselves. Uh, the majority of the people that rely on a guide, you know, they're the most of them are from out of state. Sure. makes sense. You have some familiarity with the landscape. You would think it's yeah. definitely going to tilt the odds in your favor by like yeah. a lot. <laughs> right. Or, or the, you know, the other reason why they do it is they just can't get drawn for a tag. Yeah, you know, I know sure. guys that have put in for 20 years and have never been drawn. Oh, is it pretty and hard so, to get drawn? It, it is. It okay. is. And so, you know, I actually have clients that I've got, you know, a client that I'm going to guide, you know, a hunt, an orcs hunt for him, um, you know, in like March. Um, but he just, he, he can't get drawn. Huh. And so he's just resigned himself to the fact that he's not going to get drawn. And so he hit me up and I'm going to take him out. And so how does that work? Do you guys, um, 
do they allocate so many tags to outfitters or like well because this is because this is private property it's really up to you know the landowner's discretion and with me being the agent of the landowner of this ranch it's really up you know my discretion as far as you know how many people you know that i want to bring out here that you know i feel is you know enough you oh, know so you're kind of managing the herd on that right. private property oh right. okay so that they're not really a, so on private property they're not a state managed game animal um yes and no i mean you still have to adhere to you know all of the you know the hunting rules and regulations but they don't the state doesn't regulate how many animals can be taken on private property okay is there a still a tag system or no that's just oh yeah oh, yeah okay. i mean you still you still have to purchase an over the counter you know private land only tag okay um, so so they know you know how many tags are being bought and then you have to do a big game survey after the fact so they know in that unit how many tags are purchased and how many animals were harvested that's kind of crazy is um so since these things have been introduced um, are they just filling a, a a niche in nature that was just kind of there, or have they, you know, you know, have I, they I displaced don't, elk? I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You know, I'm just no, kind of thinking. No, I, I don't. They, I don't think they filled any kind of niche other than just a feather in a, in a hunter's cap, as far as another animal to to, to harvest. Um, they haven't displaced anything because where these things live, there's really not much else that lives there. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of what I was getting at. Like, so they they found a they found a chunk of habitat that. It, that's what I meant by they're filling a niche, as far as like right. um, a nature, really, a niche in nature. Yeah, like, that, there's nothing that, that really only these things can live. Yeah, you know, there's there. There are, you know, they do cohabitat with, um, mule deer. Um, but they don't. They, they haven't seemed to really displace mule deer at all um and then of course you know there's you know like the javelina you know live in the same area but there's no they haven't pushed anything out you know they don't they haven't done any damage to any of the other animal populations or anything like that sure. are they eating um, do they eat more grasses than like browse like yeah. say maybe that a mule deer would do so they're not even they're not even really using the same resources per se right you know and it the reason why nothing else really kind of lives in this area other than some lower end population of mule deer is because there's not much forage and so these things cover a really broad area um and there's no there's no farmland around so there's no devastation to anybody's crops or anything like that um but they're they're, they're literally like the only like big game animal that can live where they live. Have um, what's the what's your uh, mountain lion population out there? Do they are there run-ins? Like, have they? Is there any predation? Well, for here, like on the ranch where we do the oryx hunts. Oh, yeah, or yeah, they're, just there in New Mexico or in statewide. General. Yeah, statewide. Well, kind of. So here, here on the ranch, there's a zero population of mountain lions. 
Um, they just they just aren't aren't here. You know, we there's a few bobcats here and there, but there's no mountain lions. Now you go just west of here, and you can see see the Gila Wilderness. I mean, just west of here, and it's just a matter of a few miles. Now you're getting into country where mountain lions and wolves exist. Um, but closer to home for me, you know, in the you know eastern plains, in the call it the Cap Rock area, um, and then the Canadian River Valley area, there's a, a pretty high population of mountain lions. And it's really an unhealthy population of mountain lions. I know that, you know, several years ago, the, the game department did a, you know, a flyover with a, you know, you know heli- using helicopters and airplanes over the Canadian River Valley. And they were able to count like this ungodly number of mountain lions. And I mean, and, and that, those are just the ones that they saw. Right. I mean, I can't imagine how many more they were there were that they never saw. You think those would spill over into like your habitat, but well, so they're they're moving further and further south. You know, there's a a park that's north of town. You know, where I where I live, where you know there's a big playground and like a couple of ponds out there where you know people take their kids to go, you know, fish for bass and catfish and and they, you know, the game department, you know, killed a mountain lion in that park here just a couple of years ago. And I've had friends, you know, that have had, you know, horses, you know, attacked by mountain lions. And so they're, they're, they're moving into places where they're really not supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, you'd think so. I mean, if the population is that high in that area, I mean, they, and they do, you know, wander. I mean, you should probably spend enough time in Minnesota. Like we get sightings here every once in a while. Yeah. Um, some close to populated areas, you know, I know the, um, DNR shot one down in Bloomington, Nine Mile Creek mm-hmm. area, you know, quite a few years wow. back. And they've had a couple of sightings on trail cameras. There was one just this year and Voyagers National Park, you know, and of course you get the, uh, <laughs> uh, this drives me nuts, but you get, uh, the people that claim that we just have a population of, of lions and the DNR is keeping it a secret. Or I've even heard that the DNR is stalking lions as some sort of conspiracy, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like what, what would they gain by this? Like, right. This doesn't make any sense. I'm like, show me the proof, you know, show me the, yeah. uh, show me a trail camp picture of a cub. And then I'll, oh. then I'll start believing you. Or every time we shoot one or anytime one gets hit by a car, which these are all, all of these instances are like extremely rare. But right. even as rare as they are, they're always a young male. So it's like, I feel like the narrative that the DNR gives you that it's just a young male looking for a new territory, you know, keeps getting pushed out, you know, they right. come from the, the Black Hills generally. Um, you know, that's kind of the narrative. But it's like, I feel like it holds up with the little evidence that we have, you know. If somebody would, yeah. had hit a, a female lion, it'd be like, okay, like that's something. They're always males. Like yeah. always, yeah. So I don't. I just I. I don't know what it is about like that kind of hunter mentality. Um, it's kind of like the anti the, the anti DNR. You know, game warden sentiment. You know, like like they're the enemy somehow, and yeah. I don't know. Every time I've seen uh, a game warden, you know, I've had a couple run-ins with game wardens in my life that 
weren't all that pleasant. But the vast majority of times I run into a, a game warden or a conservation officer, it's always a, a good interaction. And personally, sure. when I see a truck or I see a boat or whatever, good. It means they're enforcing the game laws. Because sure. if we're all being honest with ourselves, if they didn't exist, you know what would happen. People would just oh, take, 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 and take, and take. So sure. if it wasn't for that fear, right, you, you wouldn't have as good of hunting and fishing as you have. And that's just, that's just the facts. Sure. You know, there's, they're just like anybody else, just like any other, you know, agency or, you know, business entity, there's good ones and bad ones. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, you probably are going to have more good complimentary interaction with, you know, the DNR game wardens than you are bad. Um, but you know, you just kind of got to take the good with the bad and hope that you have good interactions and, you know, just kind of take it for what it is. And, and you can, but you're, you can... I mean, you're, you're exactly right that if, you know, there's a reason why they exist. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, there's, there's a reason why they exist. And, and it, and it, know, like and it said, ain't a money making thing for the state. That's for sure. If people think the licenses, because, you know, they're, always struggling to get some money out of the general fund just to keep operating, you know, like yeah. of the government entities, they're, they're, they're treated like the ugly stepchild. So they don't, they don't get a lot of that tax money. If it wasn't for license purchases that you'd really be screwed. Right. But yeah, I didn't mean to go off down on that no. tangent, but, uh, so on top of big game animals, you also guide for trout. Is that correct? Or am I making that say, up? <laughs> say that one more time. I you said, kind of cut out just a oh, little bit. Oh, okay. Instead, and not just big game hunting, but you also are, uh, you guide for trout, right? Fly fishing for yep. trout? Yeah, we we love to fly fish. You know, the fly fishing in New Mexico is, um, there's, there's trout fisheries here that, you know, people come from all over the world you know, to fish in, you know, especially the San Juan river is really the main one. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, you've probably I'm sure seen, you know, some of the pictures and stuff that we've, you know, posted on social media and taken, you know, friends and family and stuff out. And I mean, it's, that river is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. My, my youngest son, Jax, he has really, you know, gotten to be a pretty good fly fisherman. And that kid that he loves to fly fish. I think he might like to fly fish more than he likes to hunt. Really? That's saying, that's oh, yeah. kind of saying something. So I'm going yep. through some pictures. So you got browns. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, and rainbows. You'll catch, yep. You'll catch anywhere from, you know, there's, there's that stretch of river, you know, the quality waters there on the San Juan that really goes from the dam at Navajo Lake um, down, I want to say it's two miles, something like that. So there's that two-mile stretch of quality waters that's it's unbelievable. You know, and I've, I've caught, you know, a 32-inch brown out of there. And, um Last summer, I got a 28-inch brown out of there. I mean, there there's big fish in that river, big fish. There's days we've been out and have, didn't catch any fish less than 20 inches. Oh, my goodness. That is a giant trout. Wow. Yeah, they're awesome. There's, so I, I, uh, now those, I did, th those things are not sipping 
number 22 midges off the top of the water. Oh, that's it. That's all there. That's all they eat. No way. The 30, oh, a 32 yeah. incher is eating little oh, yeah. bugs. Yep. That's it. That's all they eat. I mean, you're talking then 20, 22 is actually too big. I mean, you're looking at, you know, at that the 30. Well, okay. The brown, the Browns for the most part, um, certain times of year are very nocturnal and they'll eat, you know, mice that are swimming across the river. Yeah. But they're the majority of what those fish eat. They are taking, you know, that last 28 inch brown that I caught last summer. And there's probably a couple different pictures of it on my Instagram. Um, I caught that with a size 32 what? foam back midge. What business does that big of a fish with that big of a mouth have eaten that tiny? I mean, how many of those bugs does that thing have to eat? Yeah, I, I mean that—that's they—they're—they're they're constantly feeding. I mean, that's just—that's all they do is move, move, and with the current and eat and rise and sip and you know, depending on you know what kind of hatches are going off. And most of the time, you know, we fish with you know size twenty, you know twenty six, twenty eight, you know like a um, red, you know analid, a, you know like that gray, you know foam back emerger. You know, it was really, really good. And that's what I got was that 32, size 32 gray foam back emerger is that I caught that, that 28-inch brown on. And, I mean, that's that's it. That's what you fish with. Did you spot that fish and then cast to it, or were you just yes. making yeah, a drift? There were, oh, okay. There were, there were actually – there were three of them kind of stacked up in this one spot. And – I actually didn't catch the one that I was going for. I was going for one that was a little bit bigger than him. And I mean, I, he <laughs> did not, 32. Oh yeah. Oh he, he did not want anything that I was offering him. And I knew my presentation was right. And I was putting this thing right on his lips and he just did not want it. And so I saw the other two kind of stacked up just past him. And I said, well, maybe those ones will go for it. And so I, put on that, that gray foam back emerger and in about two casts I had that got that brown on. Wow. And so my brother in law and I uh we uh we have a, a fly craft. I don't know if you've ever seen a fly craft. Um it's a really kind of a rigid inflatable um river drift boat. I mean they're they're amazing, amazing little boats. Um he had another buddy of ours and they were, they were upstream for me fishing and I got that Brown on. And I mean, I, I hollered at him from upstream. I'm like, Hey, you need to come down here and help me net this fish. And so they rode down there and helped me net that, that 28 inch Brown. And they were like, Holy cow. I cannot believe you caught that. And of course, you know, well, what'd you get it on? So well, I got it on this little size 32, you know, emerger and, that is insane. And my, my brother-in-law, Nathan Portillo is his name. And he is, he is probably, if not the best, one of the best fly fishermen that I know. And he takes lots of our guys out. Um, he is one of those guys where you can be standing right next to him, fishing the same pool, using the same rod, the same rig, 
the same presentation, everything the exact same, and he's going to catch five times more fish than you are. Huh. He's just that guy. Yeah, those those people do exist, man. I don't I don't know what. Yeah, we what the thing uh, is, but we've dubbed him over the last few years. You know, we've got a group of guys that you know we go on a guys trip. You know, twice a year usually, once in the summer and once in the winter, and we have dubbed him. You know, in the past, the San Juan Savant. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good name. Yeah, but the the fly fishing in New Mexico is it's amazing. I mean, anywhere from little tiny small creeks where you're catching, you know, six inch, eight inch, you know, cutthroats, you know, to some you know bigger mountain top creeks and um, lakes where you're catching, you know, fifteen inch cutthroat and you know twelve you know, 14 inch, uh, brook trout to big rivers, you know, like the Rio Grande and the San Juan where you're catching, you know, 25 inch, you know, rainbows and Browns. I and mean, we've, we've got all of it here in New Mexico. Unbelievable. That's such a, oh God, that's such a next class of fish. I'm just still looking at some of your pictures on Instagram. This trout are it's amazing. Awesome. I love it. You know, I, I, I did this last year. I kind of made my, uh, a feeble attempt at, you know, trying to make some of my own, you know, YouTube videos and started a, a Wing River Outfitters YouTube channel. And, you know, and it's I haven't done any kind of advertising or anything like that with it at all. I just put a few videos on there and they're actually pretty decent videos. There's some fishing videos on there and there's a couple hunting videos on there. And um, it's all stuff that I just did myself really with recording with my phone and a GoPro, you know. Sure. Um, but there's a there's a video on there of my son Jack's um, catching a big, big rainbow on the San Juan, and so I'm, I'm recording and trying to net this fish, and so I mean it's it's really kind of a neat video, but there's, it's it's amazing. I mean it's it's a sportsman's paradise, New Mexico is. But I will tell you that being said, my favorite place. To hunt is our property in Minnesota. Really? Yep. That's kind of a that's kind of a a, a bold statement. <laughs> yep. As I'm looking at the Instagram, all these exotic uh, Southwest desert landscapes and oryx and and uh, and uh, um, barry sheep and mule deer and all the things I consider you know bucket list items and. Yeah, um, and my favorite place is hunting whitetail in central Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, it's it's listen, it's no slouch. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I, there's a reason why I live here. I mean, this state is beautiful, and the different kind of topography that Minnesota has to offer too. Yeah, um, it's you know, just, I, I it's think just different. I think sure. I, I think part of it is for me, um, having not lived in Minnesota for so many years. Um, and the, the memories that I've got of going back up there to visit, you know, grandparents and staying on the farm and, um, you know, hunting and fishing and stuff up there. And, um, it's, it's more about that for me, I think maybe than, than just the strictly the hunting part. 
Um, cause you know, we, we have our, you know, family, you know, deer hunt, you know, every year up there and, you know, we've got cousins that come and, you know, uncle, you know, that comes and, you know, some other friends. And now that our, you know, my, my brother, you know, now that our boys are old enough to be able to go out and hunt and hunt by themselves and do that. Now it's, you know, it's just, it's more about being with them and being with family and, um, then, you know, it is, I think about the actual, you know, hunting part of it. So it's, there's, there's a lot more to it than just going up and whacking a whitetail, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, for sure. How, how was, how was your season this year? Uh, it, it was actually really good. We, we had a blast. So my dad and I went up there, um, for a week in August and a week in September and we built a, built a cabin up there on our place. Um, so that was, that was really cool. Kind of, kind of precursor to the, the, the 2022 hunting season in, you know, Minnesota. And so we got the cabin done, but for the most part, you know, com- completed, um, it's absolutely livable. You would still have a little bit of a sheeting left to do on the ceiling on the inside, but you know, both lofts on the end of the end of the cabin are done and we got, everybody's kind of got their own little space and, you know, made a, got our kitchen area and table in there where we can play cards at night. And, um, but we, we did well, you know, we, we got some, some really, really good bucks and, you know, we try to try to take, you know, a number of does, you know, if we can to every year, Mm -hmm. but we had, we really had a great, great season, got some great deer, um, you know, and that's just kind of the, the bonus from, you know, just being up there and being able to spend time with, with family. So sure. it was, it was a blast. Well, I do normally do, uh, the archery thing. Um, uh, but I had this year, especially now that I moved up here and your opportunities just aren't as many as what I was used to closer to the cities where there's just like deer behind every tree. It seems, uh, I've been thinking like, maybe I do need to branch out and actually start gun hunting when I can just to up my mm-hmm. odds of <laughs> putting some venison in the freezer. Um, yeah, well, I mean, at least get a, a decent muzzle loader or something yeah, like that, well, you know? Yeah, where I was going with that is, like, um, same thing. So if I ever get a chance to get down there in New Mexico and and uh, do a do a Barbary sheep hunch, what I think would be super cool. Oh, yeah. What, yep. what do you recommend as far as a rifle goes for that big country? Or, like, what would you use for Oryx? As, you know, I've... I've never really been the guy who says bigger is better, but when it comes to an Oryx, bigger is better. Okay. Well, they are a pretty good size animal. Well, and they're really, really hard to kill. Those things eat lead like no other animal on the planet. I mean, I'm telling you, it's the hardest animal to kill in North America. So if I was going to get an all like a, a rifle that'll cover everything, something that will shoot distance, has knockdown power, like a seven I mean, millimeter, would that be big enough? If I were to get another rifle right now, that would be like the all-around rifle. Um, I would honestly get a two eighty Ackley improved. There's and it's not common. I've never a lot heard of. of people have never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, that um, wasn't. I wasn't expecting that because I've never so, heard of it. So it's it's very very similar to a thirty out six. Okay. Very similar. Yeah, it just has a little better ballistics and a little better energy than a thirty out six. But really, 
as far as all-around rifle that you can hunt anything in North America with. Um, you you can't you can't beat a, a thirty out six. Oh, just a straight up thirty out six that covers yep. pretty much anything. Yep. Now, do I own one? No, I don't own one. <laughs> but because I, I I'm the guy who I, I like to prove people wrong with different calibers. Um, I don't like to get common calibers, with the exception of I've got a six five Creedmoor that. Oh is, God. Here, I mean, we, I, here I, we go. I, I absolutely love that rifle, and I will argue incessantly yep. with people about the efficacy of that round. And I'm not a rifle guy, so exp- what is? Why do so many people throw so much shade at the six five? Because they don't know what they're talking about. That's why. <laughs> and I'll, I'll straight up tell you that, and I'll tell them that, and. It, we, we did, so since I talked to you last, um, I became pro staff on a TV show that's on the Pursuit Channel. And we had done an entire, you know, well, actually several YouTube series on different calibers. And one of them was a 6.5 Creedmoor. And most people that talk poorly about this 6.5 Creedmoor for one they've never owned one they've never shot one and for sure they've never hunted with one um there are people that have and don't like it for whatever reason whatever reason they say i can tell you hands down the reason why they don't like it and it's because they can't shoot um i mean location shot placement is absolutely paramount. I know guys that have had to, that have lost deer shooting with a 300 wind mag. And it's, you know, shot placement is absolutely paramount, you know, when it comes to, you know, any kind of rifle hunting. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, but, you know, I've I've killed Barbary sheep at 800 yards with a 65 Creedmoor. Wow, that's a poke. And, you know, we've got video on YouTube of, you know, other pro staffers killing Barbary sheep at over 600 yards with a 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm, I'm talking on video. So, I mean, it's, the round works. It is extremely accurate, very low recoil. But, I mean, a little kid could shoot it. Really? Oh, yeah. They're, they're great. Like I have very, like I said, I have very little experience with rifles. I just never was not much of a rifle guy. My buddy yeah. did have a 7 millimeter. And so I shot that a couple times, and that thing kicks like a damn mule. Yep. Um, but it's also it's also a good round. Now, we also, um, we were the first people to put, like, real field performance videos on YouTube with the new 6.8 Western. And we had, we had two custom 6.8 Westerns built um, by Meredith custom rifles out of Alabama um, for us before the rifles were even released to the public. And so we were killing antelope and caribou and, you know, you name it with a six, eight Western before the rifles were even released to the public. Hmm. And that also is a phenomenal round. I mean, it is an absolute hammer. That's crazy. I mean, so, I would be, I'd be starting from the, 
basement. I mean, I'm, I would, it's like, I just have to, like, I would be such a rookie. I'd have to spend so much time at the range and just sending lead down range and getting used to long range shooting because yeah. it's just not my jam. I just haven't, you yeah. know. You know, we've, so there's, there's actually, there's videos on my Instagram of uh, me, uh, Mark, the host of the show, and my daughter all shooting uh, pronghorn with a 6.8 Western all over 400 yards and just absolutely just, I mean, just tipped them over. Is that like, um, how far would you be comfortable shooting that 6.8 Western? Oh, I, I'd, I'd shoot an animal a thousand yards with it easy. Really? Okay. Well, oh yeah. That's pretty, that's a pretty good ringing endorsement. I would say. Yep. yep. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate at all. Hmm. I mean, of course, you know, proper conditions and a proper rest and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't just all willy nilly go out there and start launching lead at a thousand. I mean, the conditions have to be right. Offhand but shooting. If, if the, yeah. If the conditions <laughs> are right, you know, and I can get down and, you know, get a very, very good, comfortable shot at a thousand. Oh yeah, it'll drop any animal you shoot at. Hmm. Well, I don't know if you've helped me or just give me more things to research now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. You start asking me too many questions, and I start telling you all of my little rabbit holes that I go down. Yeah, right, right. Now it's going to make your work even harder. I tell you. Well, Jared, let everybody know where they can get a hold of you. Um, the best place to get a hold of me is through, uh, Facebook messenger, uh, wing river outfitters, Facebook messenger, or Instagram. You can DM me on Instagram. Um, that's the majority of, you know, how we, you know, contact, you know, initiate contact, uh, for the public. And, um, you can ask for, you know, myself, Jared or my brother Peter, who's also my, you know, our business partner. Um, and, you know, we'll take care of you the best we can. Man, I gotta, we gotta get down there. And we need to get with our boy, uh, the chili dog one of these days, too. Three yeah, of us need I to get know. together and we sure do break some I, bread. You know, oh, yeah, absolutely. I had a, I had a, a busy summer and fall. This year, I get, had my daughter got married, had her first grandbaby, and oh my so goodness, my uh, you my, tell me you're my, a grandpa? Oh yeah, oh, I know. Man, I tell hard, you what, hard, I'm, to, hard I'm, to believe. I'm 50 and I'm dodging that title like Neo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really. Oh, it's just my, it's the best it's thing just, in the world. Oh, I'm, never, I'm really not against it. I mean, I love kids. Like, well, but. I never imagined how much fun it would be to be a grandfather. And I mean, it is, it, it's life changing. I know that sounds very funny and cliche, but it is life changing. It is amazing how you can so quickly love this brand new little human being, you know, which is, it's nuts. You know, my daughter, Jaren, she's on several of those videos on my, on our Instagram. Um, and, you know, it's her husband. Mickey is, you know, they're, they're cream of the crop, cream of the crop, man. So I'm really hoping one day that, that, you know, my son-in-law Mickey gets involved with the business, like my two boys, you know, want to get involved with, and my, my brothers, you know, boys want to, want to be involved with it as well. And, but like I said, we've had a busy, busy, busy summer and busy fall and 
wedding and baby and an engagement with one of my other kids and oh my so. goodness yeah i mean mine's been uh my summer was pretty chaotic fall too you know this whole transition and life and all the fit all the fishing you've been doing the fishing and life just bringing me up here and like it, it's been yeah so like my change features, is good man it is good i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with where where i'm at and uh ready to settle you know settle in here so that i can then go and do those uh yep do those other things and this you know where i'm at here and what i got going on here is gonna um definitely help me facilitate those good uh, other adventures so we well, will you definitely... holler you you holler at me anytime you want. We'll we'll make it happen, man. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pest you. So when it gets closer, like I said, you're gonna need to make me that list because I have I have nothing. I literally have nothing that yep, I would deal. require I can, for a I for a southwest you, I hunt. Can, <laughs> yep, I can send you a list and that that won't break the bank. So perfect. That's exactly we'll, what I need. We'll make it happen. And that could be a separate podcast in and of itself, right there. Actually, not, Just a, gear. not a terrible idea. Yeah, like okay, yep. here's once we plan something, that's what we'll have to we'll have to plan that. Once we get something on the books, I'm definitely going there. Okay, now I need to gear up. We'll do a a pre-plan. Oh. Here's the checklist of what you need and why you I need would, it. I would I would love to do that. That's Just now now you're now you're talking my my <laughs> lingo there. Yeah, I Just, love talking gear. Just a huge dork out gear session. Yep. Yeah, that would yep. be good, and I'll just take as many notes as I can. That'd be great. Absolutely, I'll do it. Awesome, dude. All right, well, I appreciate your time. This was great. We will definitely do it again. Hey, you got it. Later, man. Yep, thanks. Bye. Bye.